Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to We Earth Radio, and I am really excited to bring you a Valentine's Day special. Happy Valentine's, everybody. Wonderful to be with you. And I am also thrilled to be with my dear friend, one of my most beloved people in my life, Heather Ashamara. She's an author of the best-selling Warrior Goddess Training Series, The Seven Secrets to Happy and Healthy Relationships that she wrote with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and The Warrior Heart Practice. She's dedicated to inspiring depth, creativity, and joy by sharing the most potent tools from a variety of world traditions. Heather Ash studied and taught extensively with Don Miguel Ruiz, author of The Four Agreements, and continues to teach with the Ruiz family. Raised in Southeast Asia, Heather Ash has traveled the world from childhood and is continually inspired by the diversity and beauty of human expression and experience. She brings an open-hearted, big-hearted, inclusive worldview to her writing and teaching, which are a rich blend of Toltec wisdom, European shamanism, and Buddhism. And she is a love revolutionary. Ash, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So good to be here with you, Michael. Happy Valentine's Day. Yay. Uh, one of my two favorite holidays, Thanksgiving and, um, and Valentine's Day. So we get to talk about love today. Yes. But what is love? I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's the question. What is love? So let's start by talking about what love is not. Okay. Just because so often we have these wacky beliefs of what love is and to start to parse it out, because really, I mean, how I would answer that question is love is an experience. It's not something that can be really be described, but that I'm, I'm always exploring the difference between conditional love and unconditional love. And most of us are taught love is conditional. Like that's what love is, that there's possession, that there's ownership, that there is control woven in, um, and that you can do it wrong. And that if you do love wrong, you can get punished. You should be punished. And that unconditional love, which is what I feel like we're, we're learning how to embody, is about deep respect for ourselves and other deep appreciation, deep gratitude, space, and really learning how to hold the complexity of humans and of, and of life in our, in our hearts. Mm, beautiful. And yeah, you know, and that unconditional, sometimes people are like, oh, well, unconditional loves means that you're just, 
you don't make boundaries and that, you know, there's just freedom everywhere. But really, unconditional love has structure built into it, it has boundaries built into it. And so that's something that I is, is just always a, a fun exploration for me of holding that paradox of how do we shift from conditional to unconditional and hold boundaries and structure and discipline with love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing. Unconditional. I, you know, so much what you're saying is true. It's like, I'll love you as long as you don't, or as long as you do. And there's this idea that love is a 50, 50 thing. Now we're talking about relationships, but I want to talk about all connection with human beings, you know, and, and then we'll talk about relationships a little more later. But this idea of that it's a 50-50 deal, I don't think of it as a 50-50 deal. It's like a hundred zero. It's like, you know, there are, and when you say, that's what I think of when you say unconditional, like, you know, my loving you is not dependent on you loving me back even, or dependent on what you do or what you get for me, um, you know, because that's all about attachment and grasping. So the first thing I think of, of love is presencing, is the ability to actually listen with my whole body. And most of us aren't really in our whole body. So that makes a little bit of a deficit right from the start. Most of us are not really fully able to feel our emotions. So the difficulties in a love relationship or any relationship are something that if we can love the difficulties, we can expand our sense of self and expand the depth of our ability to love. Just to start off, throw that out a little. Mm, I love that. When I first was really exploring these, this idea of love, what love is, the idea of presence, one of the things that really helped me was this idea of opening versus closure. Mm -hmm. And the practice of opening to my own closure, opening to my own fear, opening to my own resistance, opening to my own frustration, like whatever was happening in my body. And for me, that was really the entry point to learning how to love. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. what I had what learned about love was that love was opened and closed. And I remember the first time that I really got that I was withdrawing my love from somebody else and that I was using it as a form of punishment and just watching myself do that and being like, oh my gosh, I'm shutting off my love to punish this other human for something I don't like that they did. And it was this huge wake up to really explore how do I stay open in love? as a choice. Yeah, as a choice. Of course, so much of what we do is not of choice. Mostly, we operate in the world as a reaction to the filters and the story that we live inside of. So for me, love 
can be a place to begin to heal a lot of the wounding from early attachment and the lack of early attachment. There's, you know, there's the secure and the insecure kind of attachment. And if we have, and most of us have at least some of that, you know, not getting the love we needed, not getting the nourishment, not being seen, not being felt, not being heard, that's going to play out in every relationship until we come to grips with that, until we actually allow ourselves, I think, to feel the wounding and the neediness and the grasping that comes from those early experiences where, you know, our nervous system shut us down in certain areas. It, it, it froze parts of our essential goodness, which we can talk about my theory of essential goodness too, but shut down our parts of our ability to really love so that love often becomes a way of trying to fix ourselves by having someone fulfill that emptiness in me rather than addressing and feeling into the depth of the emptiness. Mm. Yum. Yes. Yeah. And that grasping outside of ourselves for love, the, the, that place of there's a wound, there's emptiness, there's an unfulfilled part of me. And if I just find the right person out there to bring love, I bring that in quotes, and it is, mm -hmm. but that, that then I will be healed, then I will be seen, then I will be safe. It's always temporary. Always. Always yeah. temporary. Yeah. So works in the short run. <laughs> well, then you have a few relationships. You get to be our age. Well, I'm older than you, but, um, you know, you get to the point you say, God, I've had all these relationships and they were all like this or like that. And then I look at it and I say, you know, there's only one commonality in all these relationships, and it's me. Dang it. Oh, darn. You know, maybe I need to attend that part that isn't loving myself and not like a narcissistic kind of loving myself, but like a really genuinely opening to the pain, the suppression, the the doubt, the fear, the guilt, the shame, all that stuff that we carry that's been handed down through our family, through our ancestors, through our culture. You know, this is the way to be. And if I just had the right deodorant or the right shave, then it would all work out. No, it's the inner work. So for me, you know, love is just uh, something precious in me that if I can love you, gets revealed in me. Yeah, so true. And it's, I always, you know, sometimes giggle when you and I are doing shows because we always tackle these huge topics that are really hard to talk about. Like one of the most challenging things to talk about is love. How do you talk about love? Because it's an experience. How do you talk about healing? It's an experience. Um, but I think that, you know, this idea, all of us know we're supposed to love ourselves. I mean, basically, if you read any self-help book, any spiritual book, everything boils down to pretty much love yourself, love each other. And that's the, the main teaching. And yet, why is it so hard? 
Why is it so hard for us to love ourselves? And how do we do it? How do we do it? And I think part of it is from having a lot of relationships and realizing, huh, there's still something that's missing. Like no matter how much, how yummy this relationship is in the beginning, I'm still with myself six months in, you know, with that unwounded part or that, you know, that wounded part. And to, to start taking the baby steps, you know, I, I think for me, falling in love with myself was the beginning of realizing I wasn't intimate with myself. So years and years and years ago, but just again, to have this like, oh, I don't actually really know who I am. And to start that journey of curiosity of intimacy with self, who is this human? And then I think for, for so many of us and for myself, what I saw pretty quickly as I began that journey of self-intimacy is that I talked to myself and was in relationship to myself in a way that I would never be in relationship to anybody else. I was incredibly judgmental, right? I abandoned myself constantly. And so that, that understanding of, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to figure it out. And things started, you know, one of the places I think that for in all of our relationships with ourselves and with others, like how we talk to ourselves and how we talk to each other is so critical. And remember the first time that I heard this sweet voice in my head, I locked my keys in my car. And usually what my voice would have done is like, oh, I cannot believe you locked your keys in your car. What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be an aware human. You're not being aware. You've done it again. How many times have you locked your car? And then it would start going, you know, then the voice would go through all of my transgressions through most of my life in order, right? Um, so I locked my keys in the car and this little voice goes, oh, sweetie, you locked your keys in your car. <laughs> and I literally turned, I was like, who is that? And that was what I really got. Oh, this drip method of like just being willing to show up and learn and be intimate and that over time it, it dripped in so that I embodied that sense of loving sweetness with myself. And it's not, it wasn't an effort. Yeah. It's, not it, an effort. it's so good what you're saying. The self-criticism is so brutal. I mean, if, if I said to others, the things I say to myself, sometimes I'd be arrested you know? <laughs> because you know, there's this constant uh, stream of things coming in. And I think at the heart of that is this idea that somehow we're fundamentally broken, that something's wrong, that something needs to get fixed. So many people come to my courses, and I'm sure to yours also, with, you know, I just need this little tweak, and then I'll be okay, and then I'll be lovable, and then I can find the love of my life. But no, it's, it's, it's really to bring consciousness bring awareness to the narrative, the story, the egoic uh, narrative uh, uh, stream that's always running, that lives us. The story's living us. We're not living the story. The story's living us. And so the first thing I think that's really important in terms of finding love is to find out what, what's the story. And which is why, of course, I'm so big about meditation is to be able to step into the witness place. So once you presence yourself and you get in your body, which most people aren't, 
and we can talk more about that or into our emotions, when we presence ourselves and bring us there and we go into a meditative state, which I think is why so many people resist meditation, is suddenly you start to see that, oh, when I really go in to my inner being, I witness it. And when I witness, I'm suddenly seeing, wait a minute, who's witnessing? And that's consciousness. And suddenly I realize, oh, there's me. And then there's consciousness that I'm not, that I'm, you know, somehow able to be conscious of myself. That's a huge step in our development and in our ability to love is to recognize that we're being lived by a story that has all these aspects to it that comes from our remembered past, not even the real past, that is shaping our actions and our grasping and our way of being in the world. But to go back and recognize there's nothing broken, there's nothing flawed, there's nothing wrong with us. We simply have places where an intelligent nervous system said, this is too much, I'm gonna shut down this part because I didn't get you know, the nurturing, the love, the, you know, what I needed when I needed it. And so when we do that and we start the, you know, the third aspect, as you know, my, my thing is presencing, witnessing, and then embracing and loving what you do so beautifully. And, and one of the things I always love about you, you always talk to yourself and say, isn't that great, sweetheart? You just ran over that thing, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And adjusting that voice, like what you said of the place where we start to witness ourselves and we have, we take ourselves less personally. Yeah. And for me, that's meant that I can course correct more quickly because I'm not judging myself because I'm off base or I'm not being like, because I'm being conditional or whatever. It's just like, oh, you're being conditional, sweetheart. What, what's the remedy? What do you need to do now? So there isn't any energy lost in, or not a lot. Sometimes there's more than others, but punishing, beating up, there's just this, oh, okay, next action. But the and okay I think that, brings the energy back too, though. Yes, it's absolutely. Re resourced, yeah. It, it gets resourced, yes. Yeah. And I think that definitely comes because the narrative, I'm broken, there's something that I have to get outside of me got broken finally, or I, I shifted it. And, and in that shift of, I'm actually not broken. There's this wholeness that then it starts to quest towards healing. Mm -hmm. When the narrative is I'm broken, there's the brokenness that's questing towards proving the brokenness. Yeah. yeah. And we cover that up a lot by chasing. Yeah. By chasing after things. It's like, this is never it. It's out there somewhere. And, and, you know, my partner, if I could just tweak them, they'd be perfect. Or if I could just change this or, or if I could change this part, but we're always chasing, not just love, but chasing to find something that we can only find inside ourselves to that sense of feeling worthy of love. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that it's that constant <sighs> coming back home, yeah. coming back into our bodies, where our bodies are now, 
coming back into the the honest facing of whatever emotions are present and being able to embrace them. I mean, I love your three pieces. I really resonate with that, that we're, we're presencing, we're witnessing, we're embracing, and that the embracing is not something we do once. And it's true with all of them. We, we talk about this all the time, right? Like, I'm just gonna presence, okay, I'm done with that, good. Moving on to the next. Witness, okay, good, check. <laughs> that it's every nanosecond, adjust, adjust, adjust. And that for me, love is adjusting with respect and with compassion. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, I love what you're saying. It's not a place to get to, it's a place to come from. It's so different when you shift it to, you know, being love. You know, last time I, I interviewed Ram Dass, it was so sweet. You know, he, he kept saying that being love, I'm just being love, you know, <laughs> and he was just, you know, who he was. I don't know if you ever knew Lou Epstein, but he was a wonderful teacher, wrote Trust You Are Loved. Wonderful, mm. wonderful man. He died about 10 years ago, but he, his, he wrote this book, Trust You Are Loved. And he used to say, Trust your love and forgive all the time. So let's look at forgiveness uh, as an aspect of loving. How does that fit from your perspective? Mm. It's so huge because it definitely goes hand in hand with love is our capacity to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. And, you know, I wrote about this in, in one of my books. There's a whole section around why we don't forgive, why we're afraid to forgive. And so often there's these narratives, these stories around, if I forgive, I'm then saying that what, they, what happened was okay. Yeah. If I forgive, then um, it's gonna happen to me again. Like there's this edge, I was just talking with a friend of mine who some, something really uh, challenging happened in the past. And it's fascinating to see how we're navigating it in different ways. And what they went into is this huge shame. And I have to keep the shame so this never happens again. I have to keep this. This is what they said, sharp edge of shame. So this, so that I make sure this doesn't happen again. And I was like, whoa, wow, that's one way to navigate, but that's going to hurt and actually not work either. No, it's just going to leave you numb. It's just going to, exactly. Yeah. And mine, mine was like, how do I forgive? Like, this is a heinous situation. I won't forget, but how do I forgive and understand? And I, what really helped me with this piece around love was learning about uh, in, in Canada, especially with restorative justice and some of the work that's happening in the First Nations uh, tribes of, uh, I met a woman who worked in family structures where there'd been incest, where there'd been sexual violence and incest. And what they did is they didn't do the perpetrator victim. They said, this is a damaged system. This is not a broken system, but this system has been damaged by systemic racism, by the, you know, all the things that have happened to native peoples. And so of course that's been passed down in trauma. So of course there's acting out. Like that was just the foundation. Like, of course, things like this are happening. And the only way to heal is to bring everybody together. 
And so the system then brought the perpetrator, the mother, the family, like every, every aspect of the community was brought together to heal as a community through sweat lodge, through ceremony, through counseling, through ritual. And as I remember reading this, just thinking this is so different than what we've learned. Forgiveness was brought in and the forgiveness was the big story, the big story of this isn't this one instance, this is the mushroom of the web of trauma that's underneath the surface. So let's deal with the web of the trauma rather than just, you know, try to hack the mushroom off. And that is such a loving way to go, but it's it's a really big rewire inside of our systems because so many of us are motivated by fear. We take actions because of we're afraid and we're like, I'm gonna take the action to stay safe or because we're punishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I wanna underline that you said is that forgiveness doesn't condone the behavior. I think that's really important because that's that's for many people, they hold on to the resentment that they have, which is kind of like throwing hot coals at someone. You're going to get your hand burnt and you may or may not hit them, but for sure your hand is going to get burnt. And it's it's like that when we don't release that. The forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for us to reignite our inner fire and our own love. And also to... You know, the thing you talked about, the numbness, numbness, people think, oh, I'm just numb there. And that's, you know, nothing. Well, numbness is something. It's not nothing. It's something that has been suppressed that wants to come up. And until we have enough inner space and enough willingness to be open to the discomfort of that numbness, it's going to stay a frozen part. So when we forgive, when we actually allow ourselves to re-experience love towards ourselves and towards the other as as a human being, then and we we begin to understand that that numbness will begin to open up and things will come up for us to heal in ourselves and to love in ourselves and we find out less and less it has something to do with out there world than it does with the in here world, the inner wholeness and spaciousness. Yeah. And the image I had when you were speaking was, if we can love the incredible wisdom of our bodies, Mm. of storing the trauma, of storing the hurt, and that encapsulating I was thinking of a splinter, how wise the body is, is like foreign body, encapsulate it, hold it till we can figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And that when we forgive, when we learn how to bring that presence in, we're pulling the splinter out. The body knows how to heal, yeah. but we have to pull out the threads of conditional love that we all have been wounded by. Mm-hmm. Conditional love towards ourselves in the places where we had conditional love in our life and that as we bring in that salve of presence of love of witnessing the body then will go into healing mode and be like okay got it i know what to do now yeah yeah i i see presence as love not something separate that presence brings us into the mystery into love and one of the things 
that I noticed that the way we objectify love, you know, I, I, I love this person, I love potatoes, I love my car, we've made love into this noun. But love isn't a noun, love's a verb. Love is an action, constant recreation of an action. And so by presencing, and, and when I say presence, uh, what, I, what I find in working with people a lot is when they love someone, their attention is out there and they leave themselves. They're not in their body. Or if it's really a hollow love affair, then their attention is completely on their self and they're not present to the other person at all. So there's mutuality is love. When you have mutuality, there's love that I'm listening with every part of me to you and you who are showing up in my nervous system, which means actually the ability for you to be in relationship to me is in relationship to my story about you and the world, which is kind of cool. It is. <laughs> yeah. And that reciprocity that that's so much, you know, in the beginning, you said something that was really profound is like, like love, unconditional love, or love is 100% zero. It's that choice instead of I'll bring 50, you bring 50, and that makes 100. It's that choice of I'm going to bring 100. Yeah. And in that 100, you're loving yourself and you're loving the other, which means if th there isn't reciprocity, if there's no reciprocity happening, that you're just like, this ain't working for me, taking this body and going elsewhere to where there's reciprocity. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we have to withdraw, like you're now a bad person because you're not giving me love. It's You're just like, huh, okay, moving on. And there's that, mm, we don't need to punish each other. If someone can't bring love, yeah. you love that part of them too. Exactly. I was thinking about devotion. The word devotion just came up and it reminded me of, uh, I don't remember his, which, where it was, but Anton, Antonio Marchado, you know, his poetry, beautiful, beautiful Spanish poet. And he was also very against the Catholic church. So he was a big pamphleteer. He would pamphlet against the Catholic church and whatever, whenever that was, I can't remember. But he fell in love with this woman but the only way that he could see or be with her was to go to church. <laughs> so his friend said, Antonio, what are you doing? You're going to church. You're the great pamphleteer against the church and you're going to church. And he said, ah, what devotion. <laughs> I love that. And this idea of being devoted, you know, to loving without expecting, you know, I'm never going to see her except in church, but I'm going to go to church just so I can feel that feeling of just, I, I just want to, to give that love to someone. Yes. Yeah. Devotion is such a, what's the right word? I wish there was more devotion in all of our lives. Like, it's just not something that we get to practice a lot. And, and you know, having spent a lot of my life in Asia and in India, the level of devotion is so high. And there's, you know, there's definitely, um, that's the right word, 
you know, challenges to that as well. And yum, it's so good when you when you can bring love and devotion together. I, it reminds me, Michael, when I first started studying with Miguel, I was very anti-church. And I had a huge attitude. I had withdrawn my love from the church. And we were in Mexico, and and I remember we were we were invited to go into this church, and I was like, I don't like churches. I'm a witch. I don't do churches. Like, no. And I went in and I looked around and I started weeping because what I felt was the most incredible devotion. And I realized the structure doesn't matter. Who cares who built this? What it's the devotion that was present, the love that was present was everything. Yeah, I'm just writing down a word that came to mind. Familiarity. There's nothing that that kills love faster than familiarity, you know, because love is a mystery. Is it, it can only be a mystery. It's like God. It's like the divine. Uh, because the minute I think I know you, I name you, I name you as, you know, Ash is this way. You know, there goes a piece, chunk of the potential of love, you know, or I wish she didn't do that or, but isn't it a mystery the way she does that? Isn't that a mystery? I get curious. I get, I get in a state of wonder and awe, like, wow, I wake up next to this person and I go, who is this person? And I wonder what could happen today. I don't care what happened yesterday. What kind of miracles are going to happen in our lives today? because I love, just because I love, no other reason. Mm. <laughs> yes, and that willingness to simply show up anew every moment, every day. And there's where the choice is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's where the choice is that if we can be so intimate with ourselves that we can feel when we close, that we can feel when we're going into judgment, that we can feel when we're not in presence. And that in that moment, we can open to the closure, we can open to our own distractedness, we can open to our own judgment. And for me, that's when I can in that, that nanosecond, hello, and grab my own attention and say, no, no, sweetheart, go here, go here, right here, and then hold, then that's where the unconditional love can keep moving. Because there's so many places that conditions want to come in. And we're seeped in it constantly. We're constantly seeped in it. Um, and so, you know, I love what you, I, I love that we're saying, I love what you said, <laughs> <laughs> talking about love, the, that place of coming back home into love over and over again, it's a verb. Mm -hmm. And the action is, what are you choosing now? What are you choosing now? And even if you're choosing punishment or you're choosing to withdraw love from yourself or your in that moment that you've slipped, there's a, the next moment where you can choose something different. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, one of the things I think that keeps love alive is holding love as a teacher, as the teacher. Whatever it is that I can't love is my lesson today, is my edge, is my shadow, anything that I cannot love. Because the divine law is not two. Divine law is is non-duality, not two. So anything that separates us and we we have so embedded in us the Cartesian, Newtonian, scientific, mechanistic perspective of that we're objects in a world of objects and our language, our politics, our economics, our education, it's embedded this idea of separate. But, you know, I can look at you and I can say, Heather Ash is over there in um, New Mexico, and I'm over here in British Columbia. But also, and actually, perhaps more accurately, you're over here in me, in my nervous system, and whatever I can experience of you is the truth of my ability to love. Because anything that I, I can't feel here is a projection from my past on you out there. But if I'm feeling you in my nervous system and I say, ah, I can feel her breathing, I can feel the expansiveness and the joy that's coming out of her right now, I can feel the interest and the, the commonality, that's showing up in me, right? And that's what connects us in love. It's such a beautiful concept to experience mm -hmm. that the love is not outside of ourselves. That the love we're experiencing is our capacity to love, period. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, for, for Valentine's Day, for today, this day of love, whether you have a beloved or you don't have a beloved, the truth is you have a beloved which is life, which is you, which is the life force moving through you. We all have that beloved. We will always have that beloved. And, you know, Miguel used to always say this to us, you are the only one who's really with you when you were born. And you're really going to be the only one that's with you when you die, no matter how many other humans are around, that there's, again, this intimacy that we can build with ourselves. And that part of that understanding and that resting into is the deliciousness of recognizing your love is in here and other humans that your capacity experience them happens here that it's not outside yeah so good uh, love is a symphony not a country western song <laughs> because yes. there's, there's this thing about the lover and the beloved. And in mutuality, the lover and beloved become one, that there is no separation between the lover and beloved. And you want to read, you know, Rumi or Hafez or people like this that, that so got that and speak to that in their poetry. It's like they, they completely lose themselves, the little self, they lose themselves in love and again, there's the devotion 
the deep devotion to just loving, not loving someone or something, or perhaps loving the divine, the divine nature of, of everything. Mm. So you think of this beautiful Kate Wolf song, give yourself to love if love oh, is what you're after, yeah. right? Then that, that settling into how do I deepen the well? This is my question to myself is how do I deepen the well of my own love? my capacity to feel, experience, and share love simultaneously. And I love there's an, an African proverb around letting grief, letting life carve the wooden bowl of your being. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I look at where, where did I become a more loving human? A lot of times, like part of the the maturation process, I would say, was around grief, letting myself grieve, grieving when my father died. And this whole other part opened up in my being because I let myself grieve and I carved out more space for love through that grief, through my divorce and all the, the challenges that was in, in my life at the time of how painful that was. Same thing though, like now I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I always say when I, if I start dating people, I'm like, okay, you know, it used to be, I was like, I want someone that loves me. Now I'm like, I want someone who's had their heart broken and who's come to the other side, you know, like, <laughs> cause they know how to love. If you've really gone through a relationship and had that just wrenching heartbreak and that you've gone through it, there's more space for love there. And I think so often, I mean, I remember when I was going through one of my heartbreaks, realizing, oh, I have a choice here. I could shut my heart down and I have all sorts of excuses about why that was a really, really good idea. Or I can use this hurt and this upset and this unsettledness to love more. Yeah. And I think in order to do that, we need to learn how to resource ourselves when we're in times of deep pain and grief and loss that, and what do I mean by resource? I mean, where I live on the beach, you know, which I'm not gonna be here much longer, but I, I love where I am. I go out and walk or my dog is a resource, but time in nature is a resource, um, music, dance. Um, you need to, I, I think we need to find what our resources are so that when we're overwhelmed with that, and and resources also would be to find someone, I know lots of people rely on me, and I know that's true for you, to co-regulate when they're, and, and, and I, I love being that person that people will come and, and all I have to do is be with them. I don't have to say anything intelligent or wise, thank God. You know, I can just sit with them and they can tell me their story. And if I can receive their story and feel it in me, that's a powerful resource. And it's the opposite of somebody grieving and going and uh, somebody saying, well, you should get over it. It's been six weeks since your dog died, you know, or your husband or whatever. And, you know, you just need to get over it. You need to get beyond it. No. Or giving them advice on, on what they should do next. I always tell people, if you have good advice for someone, you should take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. 
Yeah, I got that when I went into silence for a while. I know you know the story, but one of the big lessons of that silence was in silence for, for like 45 days was having conversations with my dearest friends, which were completely one-sided because I was in silence. And so I'd go for these long walks with my friends and they'd be talking to me. And at the end of the conversation, they'd be like, that was so good, Heather Ash. Thank you so much. I feel so much better. And my brain slammed, and I was a big fix-it person. And I'm like, but I didn't do anything. <laughs> and I had to really look at why are they having these kind of cathartic experiences. It was because I actually was completely present for one of the first times in my life. I wasn't trying to answer a fixer. I was just there. That's love. That's losing ourselves in love. And I love that, the little s self, that can we lose ourselves in love, like really surrender to the, it's, it's such an amazing feeling to just feel our, our innate love. You know, I always talk about original goodness. This original sin, St. Augustine nonsense, you know, is, I mean, anybody who's ever held a baby, how could you think they're going to rob you or they're going to shoot you or there's, they're essentially bad, that, that that's their essence? There's no way that that's their essence. We are born essentially good. And we have barriers to experiencing that essential goodness. And love is the thing that allows us, if we can love those parts of us that we haven't accepted, haven't allowed to flower and flourish, and just love the numbness, love the pain, love the grief, love the sorrow, and to feel all of it. We mostly think our emotions, we don't feel them but emotions are in the body. Feelings are of the head. Emotions are in the body. And if you can't feel your emotions, then there's some wounding there. There's some place that we've suppressed something. So to be able to open to and love the gnarly parts, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really shameful parts of us and, and learn to love them and dwell in that love and, and lose ourselves and just the love. And, you know, that's another way of saying fascination or Brian Swim has a good word for that. The cosmologist, he says, um, to find your allurement, you know, to fall into what allures you. I love that word. Nice. Huh? Isn't that a great word? It's a great word. Allurement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's practice. It's a practice like anything else. And one of the most helpful practices for me around this was learning how to feel my own love and to use, like, I love my dog. So to think about my dog, to feel that love in my body, then to let go of the dog and just practice feeling the love. Mm -hmm. To feel my daughter, you know, my, um, my goddaughter, to feel my relationship to her, to let go of her, to feel that love and to practice being in love without the stimulus. And that's what part of, I was like, oh, this is mine. This, and that I can deepen it. I can continue to grow it through grieving well, through feeling everything. Now, I think that's the illusion sometimes on the spiritual path is if I just keep loving, then that'll fix everything. And I'm like, keep leveling and feel everything else. Yes. At the same time, that's where the love is going to come. Yeah. 
and deepen. We can't just jump over the yeah. grief, the, you know, the, the trauma, the hurt. I think in one way I would say love is synonymous with yes. Saying yes to whatever is arising, saying yes to life, saying left, yes to when I get triggered and learning to love that, to go beneath the surface and love, you know, those things that run us, the fear, the not feeling safe, the self and judgment and the, and the criticism of others, all of that, you know, beneath that, there's this well of love. Yeah. Yeah, and I would add that that yes includes a really clear loving no. Always. Oh, oh absolutely. And I know you know that as well. Great one, yeah. And that that place of whenever I say no to something outside, because there's unconditional love, or just we'll just say love, includes boundaries, includes having structures, it includes that's in there. But I always think about it like whenever I make a boundary. I'm saying yes to myself and I'm opening to the no. It's an open, that doesn't mean the no is movable. It's just my heart's open and it's a no. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have a valid, authentic yes if you don't have a no. Because to the degree that you can say no is to the degree that you can say yes. You know? Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. You know? I think that one way to, to live in love is to hold everything as either an expression of love or a calling for love. Mm. Yes. And that kind of, you know, then, then it's, it's like, oh, that's a calling for love. I can see why they're yelling at me, you know, it's a calling for love or, you know, accepting that uh, someone's, even someone's criticism of you is an expression of love. Yeah. I don't have to take the criticism on as truth, but I can take on that this person loves me enough to take the risk of telling me something that's difficult to say. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So true. There's something about restoring ourselves to wholeness, you know, that, that we live in a sea of trauma and fragmentation and there's so much fragmentation and we've normalized so many things. I mean, normalized, you know, poverty and we've normalized taking babies from parents at the border and we've normalized genocide and we've normalized dropping atomic bombs and, and, you know, all of these things we're waking up, you know, what's happening now is we're waking up to the, the remnants of slavery, of genocide, of all the things that our ancestors, and, and I think that that's actually an important part I think I'd like to bring into the conversation is our relationship to our ancestors, that we have severed ourselves, many of us, from our the gifts of our ancestors on the one hand. I mean, they've been through war, famine, climate change, burning at the stake, you name it, our ancestors went through it. And yet we're here because they were, they went through that. So we have that resiliency. We have that ability to deal with that. But even more than that, 
some of the the areas where we feel troubled actually are still passed down from the ancestors. And I firmly believe, and I'm curious about your thoughts about this, that when we do the inner work that we've dedicated, you and I have dedicated our life to doing this work, that I feel it not only serves our descendants, obviously, but it also heals the wounding of our ancestors. Your, your thoughts about that? Absolutely. I believe that so deeply that there's time, the linear time that we hold in Western thinking is so one, one tiny part of time. And that really, in this moment, any healing that this being does ripples out all directions, future, past, in ways that I can't even conceive of. And that when we remember that, there's, there's something that, for me, has deepened my love of my own healing, because I understand my healing isn't my, just my healing. And I'm doing it as an act of service to myself and to everyone. And that just makes it not this, it, it shifted from, I have to fix this being that I am to what an incredible gift that this lifetime I have the spaciousness and the teachers and the, the time to do this deep healing work for everyone, mm. for everyone, and that I offer that up. Well, I think we're probably getting close to the end of our time, but I just, yeah. I just want to, you know, something I thought of as you were speaking is how much when we do ceremony, and I think ceremony and ritual are really important aspects of cultivating cross-generational love, that we take the time to stop and honor our ancestors, honor our gifts, honor all our relations, as you know, Native American would say, you know, all my relations, that the work we do, like you said, the work we do, we do for all our generation, all our relations. And I, I think that's really an important aspect on this Valentine's Day to look and see where is love missing in my life and where can I bring love? You know, oftentimes we're focused. I think it's something like 70 to 80% of all of our thoughts are negative, the average person, you know. But what if we actually cultivated loving thoughts and had that be, you know, kind of a, a, a pattern that we would, would create for ourselves, you know, practice a practice of being a loving being in each day and see, okay. What's here for me to love today? So much, so much. So much. <laughs> and there's so many ways to share love. So may we hold that intent on this Valentine's Day of how can I share my love in all the thousands of ways? Yeah. And Heather Ash, I love you so much. Mm. And it's just been a delight to uh, know you these years that we've, we've been friends and just 
thank you for all the love you bring in as a warrior goddess and as uh, a torch holder for love. It's just a just always a delight to be with you and to share time on on the show or wherever we share time on the beach or you know. Yeah. Thank you, sweetheart. Love you so much too, and so grateful to be here and to continue to deepen these conversations and share them. Yeah. And thank you to all of you who are listening. We send our love and our blessings and uh, hope you enjoyed this Valentine's Day special. So blessings to each and every one of you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Yay! We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.